Let's start. I want I want to begin by um, saying all to all of you. I I hope you got my note. I I don't know if all of you check in with the emails, but um, but I'd like to start by saying Christos Anesti to all of you. It's the it's the expression um, in the Greek community on Easter. Christos Anesti means Christ is risen. There's a anyway, and the response to that is Alatos Anesti. Yes, you know that the Latin Church keeps the Greek periodic Kyrie eleison is from the Greek. It it still holds on to that ancient, the beginnings of our church in both Latin and Greek. So anyway, Christos Nesti to all of you guys. Um, I I know that's got to sound holy, and it is. I mean, we say it seriously. In our in, in our family, there's a tradition that Susanna's held on. She cooks um, lamb spaghetti, and it's just it's a if if she stopped making lamb spaghetti on Easter, there would be a revolt in our family. That's how serious it is. It is It is just, it is so good. It's unlike any other spaghetti you'll ever eat. But anyway, after a meal on, on Easter Sunday, there's always an egg cracking. The eggs are dyed red, and they represent the tomb. And you have this game where you say Christos Nesti, and you offer an egg, and somebody says Alothos Nesti, and you crack it. Well, it's a holy moment because it's symbolizing the breaking open of the tomb. It's Christ coming alive. Except in our family, it gets very, very competitive. <laughs> so the kids go at it when they're cracking eggs to see who can come out of the, you know, the morning or afternoon with the uncracked eggs. So, so what begins as something holy takes on a very different aspect through the. Anyway, Christosinesti to all you guys. I, 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 I hope you all have a good Easter octave. Christos Anesti means Christ is risen. I, I wrote it in your email. Christos Anesti means he's risen and Adolfos Anesti means truly he's risen. So I hope your Easter was good. Um, Melody, do you, you look like you're, did you have something or no? No, I remember watching my big fat Greek wedding and they, they used those, those terms. Did and, they? Uh, I was trying to remember how to say them, so I'm glad you said those again. I don't. I, I do everything I can to forget that movie. It's a. But, <laughs> I, I, I'm not kidding about that. There's a serious issue I have, but anyway. Um, well, I'm sorry to bring it up, but no, 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 no. Don't do not be sorry. Do not be sorry. Do not be sorry. I wanted to comment on how beautiful the mass was at St. Elizabeth's. I mean, yeah. at the beginning they had the horns, and it just sounded. So heavenly. I was blown away, really. Wow. Just blown away. Yeah, and I guess from um, what David said, that the attendance is up, the numbers are increasing. <laughs> oh, it's definitely up, yes. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, and in case I forget, I mean, I, I, I wrote an email, I don't know if you've all read it, but reminding everybody there's a somebody you know is going to be giving a talk this Sunday. At, and please, We'll be there. Well, I please don't feel any pressure. I mean, I one of the reasons one of the reasons I'm laughing is because you guys will know everything I'm going to say. So <laughs> there's there's there you know there will be nothing new, um, but it would That's be good. It'll be. We'll be there to correct you. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Wait, my wife does not need any help, you guys. Um, anyway. Um, Anyway, okay, let's let's start. Any any. Pr um, by the way, I'm gonna because I'm gonna forget to say this. Um, I'm so aware of moving between two communities. You know, the St. Francis and the St. Elizabeth and Seton. 
there are times when I'm doing something with you guys and we have moved beyond that in Francis. We're, for example, right now we're doing Flannery O'Connor's The Vinyl Beard Away, which I think is her best work. She's a modern Catholic writer. She died at a young age of lupus, but she produced probably one of the best bodies of short fiction in our country. She stands with Hawthorne, probably with Hawthorne and maybe Hemingway in in their short stories. And in some ways she's doing something that neither one of them did. Um, but we're doing The Violent Buried Away, which is about a young boy being called to be a prophet. Um, it's set in the South, it's very Southern, it, it, it's almost in evangelical in its spirit. But it is a um, troubling story um, it, it, because it deals with a boy doing everything he can to refuse to accept this call and it's a reminder of how how many things so many of us put in the way of answering God it's a it's a profound story and there are times when I am doing something like that and I know you guys haven't done it and I want to stop doing Dante <laughs> and do um, the violent bear away with you guys but I but I can't but I just wanted to mention this um, because if any of you are interested in any of these things, we did T.S. Eliot's Murder in the Cathedral, which is about a bishop um, um, undergoing a martyrdom. It speaks so directly to our faith because this man has, he has to look at himself and figure out if he's giving his life for the right reasons. Because so often people do things in the name of Christ when they're not being with him. So some of the works that we're reading goes so directly to some of the troubling things of trying to live a faith in our world, and this particular work of Fanny O'Connor goes there more effectively than anything I know. She's raising all the right questions, pressing all the right buttons. She's asking the reader to, to take a look at what's in the way, what's going on, what's happening. Anyway, you. If you're interested in any of those things, the modern works, you know, we've done Hawthorne and Melville and Eliot and um, Flannery O'Connor, check in on the website and, and listen to those. You can put them in your, you know, discs or whatever you do in your car and listen to them while you're going to work in this or take a, you know, a half hour break in the day. But anyway, a lot of good things going on um, at Francis, so you, you might check them out. Let's let's start. Any any um, prayer request today for Robert? Um, we prayed for him last week. He did get the results today, and unfortunately, is it is the mantle cell cancer. It's it ha it's not as bad as it has been, but um, and his spirits are really good. He he said he's an amazing guy, but. Uh, we can just pray for um, him to accept whatever God's will is for him. Kenny, his or, sorry, um, Connie, his ties to you or what? He just goes to St. Elizabeth. I've been just doing Bible okay. probably for 15 years. And yeah. um, he, he was in your class, you know, when we first started before uh, he was in a literature class, but they, they didn't stick with it. He and his wife. So, yeah, yeah he just goes to St. Elizabeth. I think a lot of us know him. Oh, Robert Gonzalez? Mm-hmm. Robert Gonzalez, yeah. Yeah, several of you are shaking your heads, so... 
God, it makes me, it troubles me. There's no way and I, Suzanne and I can divide ourselves between the two um, parishes, the community, but there are times when I, um, I feel like part of me should be there with you guys and what's going on, but any other prayers? Any other prayers? And Bob, if I could, uh, I would like to offer up a prayer for uh, for my niece. Uh, we traveled to uh, South Louisiana to attend the the uh, wedding for my niece, uh, and I was sad and some respects uh, because both my sister's children have left the Catholic Church but uh, she is a committed Christian and uh, seems to have met a wonderful young man so they were married and uh, uh, just offer prayers for their uh, for their bond what Mike what are their names what's her name and her husband's name uh, Catherine and Cameron Okay, got it. Boy, it's such a, it's, um, what to call it, a heavy weight, I think, for Catholics because we live in a Protestant world and, you know, it's so easy for, it, it's not uncommon. Well, I mean, the, the conversions go both ways. I mean, lots of people come from the Protestant world into the Catholic and lots of people are, I hope there's not as many leaving our church going there, but um, the, they're, they're, are real attractions to the Protestant Church because, in so many ways, it's easier. You accept Christ, and um, but, um, but I'm glad you prayed. I I have such respect for you guys for asking for these prayers online. I can't tell you um, how much I respect them. Let's start in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, thank you, Lord, right now for um, the last forty days and for this Easter octave. Um, um, if we didn't know it before, there's no way we could not know it now from our work last week um, in Canto 7 that what you did was amazing. We sinned against you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of you. There's, we don't have two gods. There's one God. We sinned against all of you in our disobedience. And there was no way for us to atone for that, to pay for it, to give satisfaction for it. Only a God could do it to answer a sin against a God, and only a God who took on human form. There will never ever in history ever be anything like that. You served for a justice, you made justice the core of what you did, or you wouldn't have answered our sin, but you brought to that justice a mercy none of us deserve, and you ask us to participate in that act. Um, to pick up our crosses, to struggle for justice, to bring a mercy to what we do to other people, particularly when they don't deserve it, or we don't. For 40 days, we've been disciplining ourselves to put away our sins, um, to grow closer to you, to trusting that with all the efforts we make to deny ourselves, we grow closer to you, our eyes get opened, our hearts get opened, um, we see more, bring more of you to our world. Um, for the 40 days, for the call of the church, that it would ask this, that you would ask it, what a great honor. The world doesn't understand these things. 
to, to undertake, even in small ways, some suffering to be with you. How grateful we all are to do this with you, and, and I'm speaking for myself here, but I think for everybody, that we could do this with each other. It's, it's a great, certainly a great source of strength for me to know that you guys are doing this, that we're doing it together, that somehow we're helping each other. What a great, great gift. Um, for the risen life that we celebrated on Easter, um, more especially for me, for um, the rising that each one of us participated on, let that rising become a part of our life every day this year. That in sharing in your risen life, our own will rise. That even if we don't always, you know, it doesn't take these startling black-white forms. Then even in small ways, we're being lifted up. Small changes are taking place and growing closer to you. Help us not to be too proud, you know, not to expect these great black-white changes that sometimes little changes are amazing. So I ask a blessing on all of us to carry forward what we began in, um, in Lent. Make those efforts real, keep, keep doing them, continue our efforts to be with you and bring you to all that we do with each other. I ask a special blessing on the work that we're doing with Dante. He's the center of the church. He's, he's helping us to participate in a story, not an idea. It's an actual story. It's like this, our own lives, because our own lives are stories. Help us to be strengthened, to learn from him, to deepen our faith, um, to grow in our powers of understanding, so that we can take all these things to the world. You have called us all all of us, each one of us, to be priests, prophets, and kings. Help us to live that, to be priests, to be prophets, to be kings. Um, ask a special blessing tonight on um, Robert. Um, stay with him. Connie's words were, I know it's an expression of honesty, whatever God's will. Um, hear our prayers. If there's a healing to be done, heal him, please. Um, heal him. Hear our prayers. And um, But your will. Um, whatever happens, let him find a strength. Let him be strengthened in his faith by this and grow closer to you as he approaches his end. We're all approaching it. Um, and be with Mike and... Sorry, Mike, this is your niece? Your niece, yeah? Ka yes. Yeah. With Catherine and, and, huh? Cameron. Cameron, Cameron yeah. Um, bless them. I'm going to ask a special prayer. I hope it's okay with Mike. Um, they're with you in some way. I mean, they, it sounds like they take their Christian faith seriously. So continue to draw them to you. Um, um, I pray also that at some point both of them will see that there's something lacking, that there's a whole dimension of, of um, sacramental activities of your actual presence in our world sacramentally that the fundamentalist world doesn't know. It, it lives in words, in, you know, in our minds. But your actual presence effectively working through the sacraments 
that's a whole world of mystery that the modern world doesn't know. So watch over them, keep them close to you, hear our prayers, um, that if it can be done, um, help them to uh, move back into that part of our church. Um, it's in our faith that it will draw them closer to you. Um, so bless them, and meanwhile bless Mike, because I know that's a concern for his. Let his heart ease, trust in you. I ask a special prayer for Suzanne and our kids. Um, watch over us, please bless us. And for Melody and her family, I know everybody there, um, Maria, the the friend that um, who is discerning, I mean, all of us carry the world in us. The world is not a good place. So everybody carries burdens. So hear the prayers of each of us in this group, um, please. Um, um, we trust in your hearing our prayers and acting on them. We offer these prayers, Christ, in your name, our Lord. Amen. Okay, can you pull out the Easter poem, the poems? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read both of them. Um, we, we ended the Elliot Ash Wednesday, and it was a somber, very somber note, Lord, hear our prayers. It was just, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's a Latin prayer. Um, we, didn't, we didn't come out of it with Easter, but so I'd like to take a moment just to, to come out of the darkness that we entered into with Elliot and um, put that, that darkness away um, in this new life that, that Easter offers. So if you could all pick it up. I'm going to mute you guys, okay? Um, just to see if it helps the sound quality. But once again, just anytime you have something to say, jump in, okay? Don't hesitate. <clears throat> I can't remember if we've done Herbert before, but I would urge you all to go online. Truly, um, I'd, I'd urge you to go online and look at some of the Herbert poems. <clears throat> they really are special. He was an Anglican priest in the Renaissance, so... He lived in that period when a when the church was fracturing. Break, really, Christendom was breaking apart. That was the beginning of the shipwreck of Christendom. The the Christian world broke apart, and um, he was an Anglican priest, but wrote these extraordinary poems. They're all short. They're all brief. But he has a profound sense of the word. He plays with words, because it's his way of showing the word is present everywhere. Beautiful poems. Some of them, they're all small. Um, some of them are amazing. The calling, to me, is one of the most amazing. But go online and look at them, read them. And you know, I've said this before, I, I would urge all of you, all of you, to read T.S. Eliot's poems in the poetry folder that we have. Even if you don't understand them, you're, you're going to feel things before you understand them. <coughs> Children are like that. We're all like that. <coughs> Trouble is we want to understand everything right now, like it's going to solve all our problems. Let Elliot work on you. He's a modern. He's doing strange things, but <coughs> he's probably one of the most important Christian Catholic influences in our age. This is George Herbert back in the Renaissance. <coughs> Easter Wings. Lord, who createst man in wealth and store, though foolishly he lost the same, decaying more and more, till he became most poor, 
With thee, O let me rise as larks harmoniously, and sing this day thy victories, and shall the fall further the flight in me. It's a celebration of the fall, Felix, or the uh, fortunate fall. You know, the, the, our fall was fortunate because it brought Christ to us. Um, <clears throat> so, one of the beauties of Easter is that it can bring a gladness out of the sorrows that we carry. My tender age in sorrow did begin, and still with sickness and shame, I did so punish sin that I became most thin with thee. Let me combine and feel thy victory, for if I imp my wing on thine, if I graft it on yours, affliction shall advance the flight in me. So all the horrible things will get better with his help. Thanks. Would you go away? Telling my wife to go away. Go away. She's trying to straighten me out again. Um, Easter. Still by Herbert. Rise, heart. Thy Lord is risen. No, by the way, look at the rhyme scheme because they're wonderful. Because here he's got what's called that bob. Lot, lots of modern popular artists will do this. He's doing it, you know, three centuries ago. Rise, heart, thy Lord is risen. Sing his praise without delays. Who takes thee by the hand, that thou likewise with him yet rise? That as his death calcine thee to dust, his life may make thee gold, and much more just. Awake, my lute, and struggle for thy part with all thy art. Thy cross taught all wood to resound his name, who bore the same. He stretched sinews, taught all strings, what key is best to celebrate this most high day. Consort both heart and lute, and twist a song pleasant and long. Or, since all music is but three parts, vied and multiplied, O oh, let thy blessed spirit bear part, and make up our defects with his sweetheart. I got me flowers to straw thy way, I got me boughs off many a tree, but thou wast up thy break of day, and brought thy sweets along with thee. The sun arising in the east, though he give light and east perfume, if they should offer to contest with thy arising, they presume. Can there be any day but this, though many suns to shine endeavor? We count three hundred, but we miss. There is but one, and that one ever. So those are Easter poems. Um, but go online, read, read, you know, read Herbert and Eliot. They're, they're good to read. Hopkins. Hopkins, yeah, especially those three poets. Okay. Before we start, any comments or questions? I'm going to do um, try to do a, a really brief review of last week. Um, I want to try to keep it simple and easy because. As you know, we're we're going into tough depths. But any questions or comments or observations? We, I thought we. Were, I mean, I, I I I so admire what Dante's doing. I thought what we were doing last week took us right to the center of our faith, to the center of our church. So, and I know some of you had questions and problems last week. But any any questions left over or comments or.
either I'm not doing my job or you guys are being too proud. Okay. Um, quick review. You know that um, Dante's Heaven are divided into three sections, just like the Inferno and the Purgatorio. The first section represents um, symbolically that aspect of a journey in faith in which humans are still under the shadow of their weaknesses. <coughs> so what Dante shows us in the first three heavens are those um, virtues that involve people in their weaknesses, in justice, fortitude, and temperance, you know, each one of the three planets. They never kept them from hell, and they may have involved them in purgatory. What we know is they're there in heaven. And they are where they are because where they are reflects um, a quality of weakness in their characters. And I just want to reinforce this again. Um, it didn't keep them from heaven. It just showed that they didn't completely overcome weaknesses. They're perfect in virtue. They carry nothing of their sins. What they're showing, what Dante is showing us is just a reflection of limits in the glory in which they share with everybody else. If you look at my notes, you'll see that what I've done is, is um, pointed out a basic principle to what's going on. Over and over and over again, God, Dante makes clear that God is the first cause. There are two orders of causes with God. One is the first cause. He causes everything. He brings everything into life. We saw that with Boethius. And then a whole dimension or world of secondary causes. That's the world he created. It's the world that we know, we, we, we know of in terms of contingencies. Things happen. All things are going to die. So everything participates in immortality. But we all have free will. We're all struggling with determinisms. There's something determined in every one of our characters. Some of us have certain qualities, some of us others, but they're there. But we have free will. <clears throat> over and over again, Dante makes that clear. So we have to struggle with whatever limitations we have to try to be good. In a Christian world, we do that with God's help. So there's an order of first causes. God has created everything. There's an order of secondary causes. It's the world of, in, that we know of as the world of contingency, accidents, freedoms, um, we've seen that in hell and purgatory in heaven, we're moving through the planets and watching, being, being helped to see that um, there, there continues to be a growth in a person's spiritual life as he grows closer and closer to God. In purgatory, the souls are still bound by their sins. They're struggling to put them away. Um, oh, thanks, Doug. Here, because oh, it, yeah, we oh, know that's. Um, they're struggling to put them away. Here in heaven, they're not. Heaven's a final state. Purgatory is an in between. It's a trans transition state. Anybody in purgatory is going to heaven. There's no doubt. Nobody, nobody can fall out. They're already on their way. It's just that they have sins to answer for. In heaven, we're watching, we're being introduced to characters who are in their perfected state, forgiven, and enjoy 
all of them enjoy equally. I mean, in the, they're all enjoy equally in the sense that they're all enjoy, but they all share in a differently according to their merits in, in accord with whatever degree of self-sacrifice or, you know, so that the disciples who are all martyrs gave their lives. They gave up more than lots of other people who were with God. So one way of looking at them, if I can simplify this, is to say they will be somewhat brighter or there will be a different something. But they are all equally present. They're all with God. They're not someplace else. Um, where's the... Oh, God. You don't have the... Can I see that, dog? Is that the scheme? Yeah. Um, I would encourage you again to look at the schemes that I gave you in the in the uh, you know the study guide. I think it's a really good study guide, and it's pretty thorough on these things. But um, in the heaven of um, the moon, you remember we met Picard and Constant, two women who were um, deficient in their in their commitment to their vows. They both entered holy orders, committed themselves to Christ, but men forced them to leave them, and they gave in in one degree to another what, with what the men. So it didn't prevent them from going to heaven, but Dante makes a distinction between what Beatrice calls relative um, virtues or absolute virtues. When a person makes a commitment to, to God, it, um, he gives himself completely. There's no other way to answer that if you know, if, if we steal something, the, the principle is you repay that plus more, this St. Thomas. If you steal something that's worth a dollar, you give a dollar and 25 cents back because you're not only paying for the thing that you owe, that's a matter of justice, you're also trying to correct that inclination in yourself. That was the whole principle of purgatory. We're trying to get better to become more virtuous, um, to get closer to Christ. In the level of Mercury, we're, we, we experience souls who are deficient in um, justice. <clears throat> and in the heaven of Venus, we're going to um, look at people who are deficient in temperance. That's where we're going to start today. Um, but those are the three heavens that are within the shadow of the moon. Um, so um, the, when the sun shines, you know, in the universe, there's an eclipse from the moon... Um, there's an eclipse from the moon on those planets, on uh, Mercury and, and Venus. Once you move beyond Venus to the sun and Mars, we're moving into a, um, an order, a, a sphere, in which we're removed, we're at a distance from those things involving our bodies that have such a great control in our lives. So we're moving into a super central, super sensual order. Under the shadow of the moon, we're we're more involved with sensible influences in our lives. Is that clear? It's really important because Dante is showing us a change in faith. I, I think when we get to the level of Venus we'll, and the sun, we'll see it a little bit more clearly. But that's the principle, and I want to say this I, right now. Um, you know, lots of people are going to dismiss Dante and say. He lived under a medieval Ptolemaic universe. And you know, according to Ptolemy, the earth was at the center of the universe and the, all the planets revolved around it. And they're going to say, 
that scheme of the universe was demolished with Copernicus because he showed us that the earth was not at the center of the universe. According to him, the sun was at the center of the universe. All the planets revolved around the sun. An interesting, interesting point, I've said this before and it's worth repeating. When the earth took its place among the planets, it opened up a scientific view of man. Hold on to this for a minute because this is really important. So long as the, the earth was at the center of the universe and all the planets revolved around it, the earth was a place of death, mortality, mutability, changeability. It meant because things kept changing, you couldn't know man or not doing very well. But you could know the planets because the planets were permanent. They were fixed. Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. So whatever we knew about them was determined, fixed, eternal. So man stood at the center of that, mortal, he was going to die. When Copernicus changed all of that, when he realized that that was not so, it put the earth out among the planets so that we could begin to understand man as if he was a part of eternal or fixed things himself. That's the basis of science. Science wants to know those things that can't be other than they are. They're fixed. They're determined. Okay? And increasingly since that time, we've tended to look at man as if he's a product of influences over which he has no control. He's determined. But he can be studied. He can be known. It's, it's important to see that Dante, Dante presents this scheme according to that Ptolemaic view. We've left the Earth. We're going to the Moon. We're going to Mercury. We're going to Venus, to the Sun. We're going to ascend the heavens till we get to the Imperium the world of heaven outside the universe. Is that clear? The reason I want to make this point is this, because lots of people will dismiss Dante and say, nothing to learn, that's all been destroyed, it's been proven wrong. I, I want to make the point, if Dante were living together today, he would use Einstein, Bohr's, Heisenberg, he would use all the modern physicists in whatever discoveries they made and he would find God working in them and make it clear the way he did then. That's absolutely fundamental to the point I want to make here. This is not a reason for dismissing Dante. It's a reason for saying if Dante had lived now, he would have, he would have, he would have known modern physics. He would have known Einstein and Borg and Heisenberg and the modern physicists. And um, it, it would have been the material basis for which he would have work to show God at work in our world. That is, that is, he would have done what St. Thomas did. He would reconcile faith and reason. Whereas today they're broken. There are lots of people in theology, there are lots of people in physics who want to see somebody step forward to reconcile those two orders. Because right now they're broken. Is that clear? I mean, you, there are lots of people in the sciences who are grieving, waiting for somebody to do that work, to reconcile faith and reason, to take the discoveries we've made in science and reconcile them with faith. Because right now, it's so hard to bring faith and reason together because they seem to belong to two contrary orders. Okay? But Dante was working with St. Thomas, and it was possible for him to take the existing understanding of the scheme, then, the Ptolemaic scheme, and reveal that God is present doing something and the human person um, is moving towards God and we can help we, we can be helped to understand that journey 
by looking at the different planets in these different stages of a growth in faith and understanding both both faith and reason because you know at every point Beatrice is constantly explaining things making mysteries available to Dante in his faith <clears throat> let me stop with that is that clear Connie come on you got a question No, so so the planets are not, they're just like um, showing the different levels that people are at in heaven. But it's not necessarily like, you know, the Empyrean heaven, you know, where, you know, or, or where everybody's going to be together. Or is that part of that? That's part of it. They it are all there. They are all there. They're there. Nobody... Nobody is separate. They're not separate. They're in heaven, all of them. Constance, Picarda, all of them were meeting. Fouquet, Queen Elizabeth, all the people we're going to meet. They're there. And I mean, another way of thinking of this is, you know from your reading, as Dante ascends to heaven, Beatrice gets brighter and brighter and brighter. Right. It's not because she wasn't already bright. She was bright. She's only revealing as much as she can that Dante can stand. Stop and think. I mean, this is so natural. All of you, most of you have children or related to children. Try to tell a four-year-old, try to explain Einstein to a four-year-old. <laughs> try to explain your faith to a four-year-old. You know, you're going to have trouble. You can't overwhelm a kid. You've got to, when you start to help a kid learn, you've, you've got to take whatever learning you have and adjust it to the level of that person. So Beatrice is, in fact, this is going to happen later. She's going to blind him. At one point, Dante will look at her and his eye, he will go blind because her beauty is so... I mean, it's always been there. Every one of the souls is revealing an aspect to help Dante along his journey of faith. Um, there's no way he can look at the end at the beginning. He's not ready for it yet. He has to go there step by step. We can say... I mean, I, I think I've said this before, but sometimes the meaning of it just doesn't hit. Remember, the Iliad... The, the Iliad, the Odyssey, and the Aeneid were about heroic warriors. They were men of action. The great theme was dealing with disorders and evils. That, that preoccupation, that virtue of courage, warrior courage or nobility, was radically changed in a Christianity. Um, and I want to be careful. Milton doesn't look at it this way. Milton drops that whole heroic passed away. For the Christian, it was a matter of combining this, the virtues of a warrior with a learner, Christ. So it meant bringing a soldier and a saint together in one. And we called, we called them knights, right? Knights fought, but they were supposed to bring a courtesy and a love of Christ, a, a willingness to sacrifice themselves for Christ to what they did. That was the ideal of the Middle Ages. Right? Dante's great theme is education. The great heroic virtue for Dante is learning to see, presumably because if you learn to see things, it will help you adjust what you do in the world. So we're watching a man look at evil, we're watching him watch people in purgatory take on their sins, and in paradise, we're watching him grow in stages of faith 
and reason. He's getting closer and closer, and he's seeing that there's a, a great deal to be known that, that humans can know in these Christian mysteries. And we're watching Dante learn them stage by stage. There's no way, there's no way Dante could take be taken directly to the Imperium. It's it's like you know. And in fact, you know, think about it this way. One of the amazing things that happens, remember, when he starts his ascent into heaven, is Beatrice looks up at the sun. You can't look at the sun as a human; it would blind you. But a grace has been given to Dante. He looks at the sun. And he starts to ascend the heavens. Remember the word, transhumanized. He's entered a realm of graces. His mind is going to continue to grow. Beatrice is going to explain things. But he's growing He's growing in his understanding of Christian mysteries. Stage by stage. And all of these souls who are coming to him are revealing more and more. The only way to put it for me. It, they're revealing more and more of the blinding light of God. So that ultimately Dante, because the, the Paradiso is going to end with Dante looking at the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to give that away, but that's where this is going. It's the beatific vision. Right. Does that answer your question, Connie? Yes, it does. It helps a lot. Anybody else? Um, okay, I've got something. So, okay, so I understand that the souls are different. Um Heaven is a diverse place, so some of the souls are shinier than more than than others. Um, some bring perfection in in certain aspects of their lives or past lives. I don't understand why he describes some of them as deficient, because to me, if you're deficient, you should have the ability to to change and grow and become better. But they're in heaven; they're perfected in their own state. So to me, it's like, what is the purpose of describing these people as deficient if, if they're in heaven? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Can anybody, anybody want to jump in here? Yeah, so, uh, Beatrice talks about that in reference to the uh, uh, broken vows. Uh, Dante asks the questions. Uh, Suppose someone does break a vow, doesn't other charitable acts in their life make up for that? And she, she says, no, I'm not, sh I'm not quite sure I understand the reasoning, but it's no, that doesn't change the fact that the vow was broken, that someone did not resist breaking the vow to the point of death as, as a martyr would. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Mike, go ahead. Did you have more to say? That's all. Yeah. Um, Melody, I think it's a really good question. The, the only way, I think the best way to answer it that I know, um, I mean, I really am aware of, you know, that we're on a, on a threshold in attempting to go into the theology of our church, but remember in purgatory, all of the souls entered purgatory with deficiencies. All of them did. And remember that um, purgatory is a way of making up for sins, atoning for them. So nobody leaves purgatory who hasn't atoned for those sins. But whatever they were, I mean, the, the way to put this, whatever happened to death stops you there. 
So whatever deficiency you carry forward, they're still with you. It doesn't mean they won't be atoned for or paid for because that's what we watch happening in purgatory. So whatever merits you had, um, you keep with you at death. Remember, that's why we had the pre, um, what, what's it called? The pre-purgatorial, the... Uh, anti? Huh? The anti-purgatory? Yeah, thanks. Connie, you want to come over here and sit with me? God, I'd, be I'd be glad for the help. It's just getting worse and worse for me. I mean, I look to this and think, why are you guys hanging around? It's just getting really bad for me. But Connie's right on, anti-purgatory. Because remember, they're there because their deficiencies were greater than other people. They had things to do before they could actually start it because they put it off in life. They didn't do anything to answer their sins. So they're not in hell, but they're there. When they start purgatory, they're going to answer those sins, but whatever their merits were, whatever they did, like Peter going to a cross or Paul going to a cross, like all the martyrs, the saints, they went to a cross giving up more of themselves than most of us do in our lives. That's why the church holds them up as an example to follow, that we, we want to emulate these people to try to be as good as we can before we die. But whatever merits we have changed then, because this is crucial, Melody, your question goes to it, because all the options involving our free will stop then. All things are over. When you go to purgatory, it's done. You've either wanted to go to Christ or you haven't. But choices in dealing with problems in the world are not going to happen. Purgatory is a place for... You know, the adventures in a, that we face in life are gone. And purgatory is a place where we're trying, something is going on to help us atone for. But the merits stopped. So um, the deficiencies aren't, we're going to see this. It's interesting that you're, we're going to see this in the passages we look at today. The deficiencies aren't there, but the limits that they affected are. You know, um, Cunise is going to say, I forgive myself. She's blessed. She's happy. Picarda says, um, I'm glad to be here. I, um, to be otherwise would be to go against God. Remember we talked about her as being the antithesis of Francisca, who blames God. Picarda is saying, um, my will is his. His will is mine. She is absolutely, there's nothing in her keeping her from being happy. So... The deficiencies aren't there as deficiencies, but the limits they affected show. It doesn't keep them from being perfected at whatever their character was. It's, it's Dante's way of protecting our human nature. It's the church's way of protecting. And you know in the modern world, people are saying, we don't have a nature. We can do whatever we want. We can make ourselves whatever sex we want. We can do whatever we want. The whole point here is God made us, we have a nature, we have a person, he was imprinted in us, you know, the, um, and so often, I, I, I know I'm speaking for myself, and for so many of us, we give in to the world, we're, the world takes us, it has us, we move with it, and then reach a point where we realize this is not going to make for a happiness, there's something wrong here, and you have to, you have to start looking at yourself and you know, making changes, so. Um, is that okay? Can, yeah, you guys are good. God, you guys are good. Um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip. Um, you guys have got my outcome. David and Kay, I do not believe you do not have a question. 
David and Kay. We're in the listening mode. <laughs> Kay, don't let him speak for you. Kay, I don't believe you don't have a question. Not yet. Okay, okay, okay. Um, three major things we looked at in the, um, in, the, in the heavens. One was that vows are important because they, um, they show our integrity, our commitment to stay with something when things go hard. To break our vows is to break our integrity. Integrity means wholeness, to be whole. Breaking vows breaks us. It keeps us from that integrity. Um, we looked at Dante's justice. Um, I wanted, I just want to pause on it because I think it was such an important canto. I think all of you saw that at least last week. Canto 7 is that canto in which Dante explains the crucifixion. Remember when the, um, the eagle was explaining God's justice working in the world from all towards the founding of Rome? That with Titus, um, Jerusalem was destroyed under under him, under that emperor. And um, Dante wondered how a just vengeance could be avenged. Because if it's just, it shouldn't be avenged. And he was left with that. Is everybody understanding that? He's left with a paradox. It doesn't make sense. It seems like a contradiction. And then we got that explanation from Beatrice in which he said, if you look at the person, if you look at the nature God assumed, no act was more just. If we take away justice from the world, it takes away what Christ... I mean, this is so important, and I just think the modern... I think the modern Catholic has lost it. If you take away justice from the modern world, you undermine Christ and God. No act was more just. He, what he did was restore a justice to the world. We committed an injustice against God. We could not give satisfaction for it. Christ did. So at the root of that act was a justice that he gave to the world. If we don't see the justice in it, the, the, his act was meaningless, absolutely futile. It was a justice. He answered an, an injustice we couldn't on our own. But he brought to it a mercy that none of us deserve because he was a God-loving man. So in that act, he, it, it seems to me what we learn is the problem that Christ left all of us since that time. We are supposed to work for justice. We have to take it seriously. That's the, old, the whole Old Testament. That's the Father. But we have to bring to it um, a mercy that people don't deserve. And one of the questions that I asked you guys like, how easy is that? I'm trusting that all of you know how hard that is. Because to do it truly means dying to our sins, to, um, to enter into the life of Christ, because without it we can't do that act. That's how important Christianity, that's how important he is. Is that clear? Is that, it's one of the most important cantos of the whole divine. It makes sense of hell, because in hell, people, all they wanted was just the law. And that's what they got. In purgatory, people wanted the law. They broke laws, they had to pay for them, but they wanted to pay for them. They were glad to receive God's mercy and work to bring those two things together. So they were moving along. In the Paradiso, what we're seeing is all of that is over. Now the sins have been forgiven. Um, human beings are in their wholeness. And that canto makes, in one sense, makes sense of the whole of the Divine Comedy. I don't want to pass over that because it, to me it's, it's just too important for the whole. Are you all okay? Did you have any questions about that? Do you, I hope you're all seeing its importance.
Okay. Um, Melody, you asked a question last week, and when we got up um, after we stopped, Suzanne had a response, and I enjoyed your question. She had a thought about it, so I'm going to ask her to. I have no idea. She said, "What about judgment?" You know that we. She she was putting it in terms of there's this reckoning that's going to take place with Christ, and where is it? Because in hell we don't see it, or she was. I think she was treating it as if we don't see it. Purgatory, we don't see this confrontation. At the end of the Purgatorio, we see Dante and Beatrice. The, the reckoning for Dante is with Beatrice, not Christ. And in the Paradiso, it's over. So she was asking, what about justice? Do you remember your response, Doc? No. Melanie, just if I can recall Suzanne's response, I hope I'm doing credit because she we came away from that. She was, I wasn't, she was, she's smarter than I am. She's, she was asking this question about, um, she was responding to your question and, and said, it's already been done. And I thought that was a really good answer. You know, it's in hell, it's already been done or they wouldn't be there. And I, I think, I don't know it, I honestly don't know how to answer your question. And I'm not even sure that her, her quite answers it because judgment's already taken place. They're there, whatever that reckoning is. And in the purgatory, we don't see that, you know, Christ separating the tarn from the wheat or, you know, that judgment. It's Beatrice. Um, so I, I don't know that we can answer it. But in a sense, it's been done. It was done in the inferno. We don't see it. It was done in the purgatorio or we wouldn't see them there. And it was done in the uh, Paradiso or we wouldn't see them. Why Dante doesn't treat that? I don't know. I can't answer it. But what's compelling for me is that um, this moment of reckoning that Dante has to face with Beatrice, that she's a Christ-bearing image, and you know she she just withers him. I mean, she just, she reduces him to tears, she scolds him, and so there's a Christ-like reckoning there um, because of his betrayal. Um, but beyond that, I can't, you know, but I just wanted to offer that thought to you that it's taken place or none of those conditions would exist. You know, it, it, it had taken place or the people in hell wouldn't be there. And same is true for the purgatory and the... Uh... Let me offer one more thought, too, for you. Um, Dante and Milton are the two great modern epic poets. Dante's Catholic, Milton's Protestant. There's a lot about the Paradise Lost that bothers me a lot. Milton's theology, to me, really troubles me a lot. And it seems to me one of the serious mistakes that Milton makes, I mean very, very serious, is he tries to render God. The Jews would never have done that. The tabernacle's open. We don't see him there. And the Jews were suspect of that because they knew to try to represent God is idolatrous because how in the world are you going to... What, what finite image can you use to represent an infinite God? Whatever, in, whatever image we would make. That's why there's iconoclast movies movements all the time. They want to destroy religious efforts to image God because it's blasphemous. How do you image God? Milton did it, and it just seems to me his presentation of God is awful. It, Milton's God looks spiteful and mean, petty, as a schoolmaster, and just an awful... Um, Homer didn't make that. I mean, he renders the gods, but his gods are believable. Milton's God is the God who can't be 
I mean, we can suggest him in an image. We can try to render him. Dante did not do that, not with Christ, not with a son, not with a father. We know of them all the way through the poem. Um, it's hard for me to imagine Dante being at ease in any effort to try to render Last Judgment with somebody confronting Christ or the Son or the Father. Um, I, I can't imagine that without being, without shuddering at it. It's just, um, but that's me. You know, I don't, I don't have, I don't know that I have a good answer for you. Well, I, I think that's a great answer because if you think about the daunting task that he did, you know, showing uh, images of all these places, I mean, was he a coward not to show God in his judgment or was that the ultimate sign of respect that he just yeah. could not do him justice? So yeah. he just decided to skip that part in all three and that makes a lot of sense. So yeah. thank you. And judgment, Sorry, go ahead, Doc. And judgment for Dante himself has not taken place yet. He's going back to Earth and it's unlikely given what he's seen, but it's still possible that he could turn away from God and turn away from Christ and be damned again. Not gonna happen. But but it's possible. <laughs> Judgment for him hasn't taken place yet. For the other people, it's all final ends. Just by by the way, just along these lines too. I don't know if any of you have finished the Paradiso, but if you have, and I don't. I just don't like giving things away. But at the very end of the Paradiso, he's going to face this problem head on, and I don't want to tell you how he deals with it. But, but it goes. It goes to my comment, and it goes to your comment, Melody. What you just the way you put it. You'll you'll if you haven't gotten there, you'll see it. Let's go back to the book. I want to. I want to get us back here. Um, any other comments about? where we've been or what's going on. Um, Doctor, do you remember if um, Dante was questioned about his faith? Like he had to um, recite the acts of faith, hope, and charity or something? Did that happen? Did mm -hmm. I read that? Yeah, it is, Connie. At the, um, at the upper levels of heaven, he's, he's going to have to um, do exactly what you're saying, that he's going to have to um, express his faith. It's a little bit like those moments in marriage or baptism when we have to renounce Satan and renew our faith and say, I do, I do, I do. Right. That he's going to do exactly that. Um, so, yeah, but that's still ahead of us. Yeah. Oh, well, no, this was something I read before that um, I, can't, I can't remember what chapter it was in, though. It was at the beginning of the Paradiso that he answered the question enough about either act of hope or charity. He knew enough about it to move up to the next one. Maybe, I don't know. I, I can't remember what Find I was Find them, reading. Connie. I, I don't know what you're, but I, th those will actually, those distinct acts, statements uh -huh. of professions of faith will take place then. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, let's go back to... Um, Um, Canto 8, um, Beatrice has just explained the crucifixion and resurrection and the destruction of Jerusalem and why Christ's crucifixion um, made God and the Jews happy, but for different reasons. And we, that's where we left off. 
Um, um, a soul appears to Dante on page 435. This is Canto 8. And it's Charles Martel. My happiness which wraps me in its glow conceals me from you. I am swathed in bliss just like the worm that spurns itself in, um, in silk. Dante has, um, and Beatrice have, risen to the level of Venus, the, the sphere of Venus, and it's in this sphere now that they're going to they're going to experience those souls who are deficient in temperance, and and I, I don't know that this is going to satisfy you, um, Melody, because I I I I think it was your yeah, um, but to me it's one of the loveliest answers that the committee um, gives in response to that kind of question. So remember now we're we're entering the level of Venus, and you know that Venus is the goddess of Eros in the ancient world. She's the one who inspired erotic love. So when the ancient poets and philosophers looked at the universe, they saw, they associated um, Aphrodite and erotic love with Venus. Remember, that's a god. It's permanent. It's there. Okay. Um, Martel comes forward and um, he says on page 437, the good that moves and satisfies the realm that you now climb endows these mighty orbs with all the power of his own providence. Because remember, God is everywhere. And in that one mind, perfect in itself, there is foreseen not only every type of nature, but the proper goal for each. Every one of us is different. Every one of us is inclined to different sins. Some people are more inclined to lust. Some people are more inclined to greed. You know, some people are more inclined to envy. Whatever, whatever the sin is, um, thus, when the um, bow bends and the arrow shot speeds ready to a predetermined, predetermined end, a shaft expertly aimed to strike its mark. Every, every one of us has a disposition to move, but in a different way, a different mode, towards the same end, because our end for all of us is God. Um, Dante's asking how there can be so much disorder when there are these determinisms in us. 438. Tell me, would it be worse for man on earth were there no social order? Of course, I said, and here I seek no proof. Can this be unless man had on earth different natures, serving different ends? Not so if what your master writes is true. Go down. For nature in its circling stamps its seal on mortal wax, perfecting her fine art. Nature stamps itself on each one of us, but in a different way, because we all have a different nature. Our end is the same. So Esau once conceived different from Jacob. Romulus sprang from so base a sire that men imagined him the son of Mars. Go on over 439. Now you can see what was behind your back. The great joy you gave me urges me now to wrap you in this corollary gift. Corollary. Should natural disposition find itself not in accord with fortune, that it must fail as a seed in alien soil must die. If men on earth were to pay greater heed to the foundation nature has laid down and build on that, they would build better men. How many of us know this when we begin? God. But those men bent to wear the sword you twist into the priesthood and you make a king out of a man whose calling was to preach. You find in yourself on roads not meant for you. What happens when parent tries to make a son fit their own image? 
He's going to follow in my footsteps. When his inclination, his temper may be different. How many of us are, I hope everybody's following. How many of us are perceptive enough to see the inclinations of a child to work with that? To help that kid fulfill those inclinations. Every one of us has a certain disposition, a certain proclivity, right? We all have different proclivities. He's saying to parents, everybody, teachers, um, um, are you working with the nature of the person before you? Or are you trying to turn him into something you, he isn't? If you do, you're not going to do him any good. We have to work with what nature gives us once again. Is that clear? Canto 9. Remember they're in, in the level of Venus now, and this is the level of temperance, working with what nature gives you. Suddenly then, a, another soul begins to appear to Dante, page 440. Another of those radiant lights drew near to me, its eagerness to please was shining through the splendor of its glow. I hope it's clear by now that what's going on in the Paradiso is a light show. All the souls are appearing as lights. They're somehow distinct in their self, but it's like the soul is this luminous gem. That you know, it, it's not like people on Earth. We they're they're they are the people they are, but there's something luminous and brilliant and beautiful about each one of them. And they're all wrapped in their beauty. Um, drew near to me, its eagerness to please was shining through the splendor of its... How can it be otherwise? The love that people feel in heaven, you know, would cloak itself in this beauty, this radiance. The eyes of Beatrice fixed on me now gave me full assurance as before that my desire met with her consent. On 9, or I mean 441, there in that part of sinful Italy, this soul replies, which lies between Rato, what she does is describe her beginnings, and then she goes on to say, she describes her brother who went to hell. So she, somebody, I think it was you, Melody, I can't remember, Some, somebody asked about that. But here's one of the instances in which we, we encounter a soul who's separated from a loved one. And remember, to not forget, Cato himself, who was at the foot of paradise, his wife is in hell. So the, the first thing Dante showed us at the very outset of Purgatorio is family members, loved ones, will be separated. He's pretty stark on that. Um, both he and I were born from the same root. Cuniza was my name, and I shine here, for I was overcome by this. I love this. I was overcome by this star's light. But gladly I myself forgive in me what caused my fate. She married four times. She had three husbands. I can, I can remember four or five years ago when I first did this, it, it, there were two women at the back of the class when I said that they, they both looked at themselves as if to say, what have I been missing? <laughs> I, I just thought it was so funny. For, here, she's in heaven. So however self-righteous we get about people who, you know, marry five times or... But gladly I myself forgive in me what caused my fate. It grieves me not at all. This goes to your question, I think, Melody, about deficiency, which might seem strange indeed to earthly minds. This precious and resplendent jewel that shines here closest to me in our heaven has left behind great fame, fame that will live as long. That's Fouquet. Go on over. Um, she moves off because 
um, Queen Isa's eyes are on the seraphim, the, the heaven, the, the order of angels above her. So she's drawn to that luminous order and partakes in that luminous quality herself. And when she goes, Fulcay appears. 442. Then she was silent and it seemed her thoughts were drawn to something else for she had joined the dancing wheel where she had been before. The other joy which she had just described as something precious now appeared to me like an exquisite ruby struck by sun. Now remember, as we go up, remember we started with a pearl in the moon? Each order has its peculiar gem, and they get brighter and more translucent and more beautiful as they go. The pearl is a little bit opaque, right? But the jewels change. Dante's amazing. What he's trying to do is show us changes in a human being when that when that person takes in the wisdom of God and grows in his love, that he partakes more and more of God in what he does. Um, like a ruby. Up there joy gives those souls a brighter light, as here it makes us smile, while down below souls darken to reveal their sullen minds. 443. God can see all, and your sight sees in him, I said, O Holy Spirit, so no thought of mine can hide itself from your true sight. Nobody in hell can hide, I mean, heaven can hide in me. How can they not? They're transparent. Whatever's in their heart or mind is going to be communicated. And, and I just want to call your attention to the top of 443. God can see all, and your sight sees in him. God is in himming folkay. We don't get the reflexive verb here. We're going to get it in a minute. Is that clear? Dante keeps using these reflexive verbs. God is in himming himself. In himming. He's, he's, he's making himself present in another human being. Your voice then, which eternally charms heaven in harmony with those adoring flames that made themselves a cowl of their six wings. That's the seraphim, the angels. Why does it leave my longing unfulfilled? I would not wait for you to ask of me were I to in you as you know out in me, now in me. If I could read your mind as you read mine. Is it clear what's happening? Dante's using these reflexive verbs to show an in-othering. That as they move closer to God, the spirit of each soul penetrates the other, becomes part of them. He is in-othering. They're becoming part of each other without ever, this is not Buddhist, this is not Buddhism, without losing their individuality. They were made in the image of God. They are separate selves. They are distinct persons. But as they move closer to God, they take others into them, and those others take them into them as well. So we've reached a point, and it's interesting, it, um, Melody, it's here at the level of Venus, of passion. Four forty-four. This is so wonderful. Fulquet says on four forty-four. To those who knew it, Fulquet was my name. The sphere of heaven bears my imprint now, as from my day. That he. That is. Another way to put it. He cannot escape what was determined in him. He was made with a greater passion. He relates to that planet. Is everybody following? 
all of us have determinism. That's been true from the ancient world through Chaucer, Chaucer, earth, air, fire, water. We all have certain mixtures. Each one of us has something determined, something that's a part of our character. We're different from each other. And it relates us to the universe differently. So we have a different... Com you, what's the astrology? You know, where you're related to the planets and the movements of the planets. Those are all part of us. Do they determine us? No. But they help explain our character. There's something determined in each one of us. Fouquet is, is, has an affinity with Venus. That's a part of his temperament. So he was. To those who knew it, Fouquet was my name. The sphere of heaven bears my imprint now, as from my day of birth I bore its own. He grew up passionate. That's who he was. Dido, <laughs> Bailey's child, did not burn more, wronging Sychaeus and Creusa too, than I burned loving till my hair turned gray. You remember that Dido, Dido killed herself. She was so passionately in love with Aeneas. Fouquet is saying she didn't her passions were not greater than his. What's the difference? He made a place for Christ somewhere in his life. But he, but he did not lose his temper. I mean, the, the proclivity that he had. Um, nor she of Rodope, who was betrayed by her Demophon, nor Hercules, when he enclosed Iole in his heart. But we do not repent... We smile instead, not at the sin, this does not come to mind, but at the power that orders and provides. God helped perfect what was a fault in him in his nature. So at the level of Venus, characters are coming to him to show him the perfection in that which they had at birth. Remember, go back to Charles Martel. If we only recognize the proclivities we had when we were younger, our parents, if we or any of us, we would be more careful of each other and what we did to try to help each one of us perfect ourselves. That's what Christ does. But every one of us is different. Before he leaves on page 445, um, Dante hears this voice, go down to the bottom of 444, this one who is within the luminance you see in all its splendor next to me, like crystal water struck by rays of light. Know then that there, there within Rahab has peace, and once joined with our order, she impressed her seal upon it at the highest rank. She was a woman of great passion. Who was Rahab? You guys remember in the Bible? Connie, go ahead. Are you shaking your head? Yeah. Only be, I, I remember Rahab, but the, of course, reading the notes helped a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I'll let somebody answer that actually really knows who Rahab is. You are, you are being I good. Think, uh, I believe that Rahab was a, um, she was a harlot who lived in uh, Jericho yep. at the time that the yep. Israelites uh, conquered Jericho and she... Uh, she took in the spies. Yep, yep. She gave them a way in, so she made possible the conquest of the Holy Land. For it was Rahab who made possible Joshua's first glory into the Holy Land, which seems to matter little to the Pope. Dante has little good to say about the Pope and what's happening in Italy. Um, let me stop. Does everybody is everybody following Dante? Remember with Martel, Martel is making the point. Each one of us has a nature. 
you know, we're, we're different. The, the modern scientific world tends to um, flatten. Our, it makes, it's like we're all the same or something, um, even though it, it knows better. Dante's really clear that each one of us has a different nature. To try to be somebody we're not is not good. And, and if, you were, if you go back to the Iliad just for a moment, because you guys have been here. Remember, one of the points that I made in the Iliad it was um, Hector tried to be somebody he wasn't when he took Achilles' armor. He put that armor on, and what happened? He died. When Patroclus put on Achilles' armor, what happened to him? He died. One of the basic instincts that Homer had was that there's these differences between people, and when you try to be somebody you're not, it hurts you. You can't be. You, what Dante's showing us is that you should not be ashamed of who you are. Nobody can be you. Nobody else can be you. Whatever that is, whatever that means. Each one of us is given something different. Our belief is we can't perfect that nature, whatever the differences are, without Christ. But each one of us is different. And we're seeing that in spades right now, not only in what Charles Martel said, but what Cuniza and Foucault. I love what Cuniza says. <laughs> she had four husbands and three lovers. And, um, but gladly I myself forgiven me what caused my fate. It grieves me not at all. You know, that um, there's the spirit of forgiveness and this wonderful sense of indwelling. Why does it leave my longing unfulfilled? I would not wait for you to ask of me were I to in you as you now of me. They're beginning, they're beginning to, before Dante even speaks, they know what's on his mind before he knows it. Um, there's this wonderful sense of something happening here. Let me stop for a second. Any questions about this before we go to 10? Canto 10's, 10 opens with Dante um, um, taking pleasure in the Trinity. It's an amazing moment, actually. Page 446, Canto 10, looking upon his son with all that love. Once again, Melanie, we're not going to get him. This is so interesting to, you know, which each of them breathes forth eternally, that uncreated, ineffable first one. You can't describe him. Ineffable has fashioned all that moves in mind and space in such sublime proportions that no one can see it and not feel his presence there. Look up now, reader, with me to the spheres. Look straight at that point of the lofty cross. He's going to look up and then says, look there. And this is interesting. For a moment, he comes out of the poem. He's saying, look at the center of the universe. If, um, if their track had not been set aslant, then the great powers of heaven would be vain and earth's potentiality stillborn. All the order in the universe wouldn't be there. And if its deviation from the straight were greater than it is or less, or, or less disorder would come about in both our hemispheres. But that's not true. The universe is full of order everywhere. Now, reader, do not leave the tables yet. Reflect upon what you have only tasted if you would dine on joy before you tire. I put the food out. Now you feed yourself. Just for a moment, he's so taken up with the sight of it 
that um, we're brought back to him as a writer, because remember, he's writing the poem for us right now, speaking to us. So the two are joined. He's taken back to that moment and involved in the act of writing, because the moment so overcame him, just contemplating it again, on page 448. And I was in the sun, no more aware of my ascent than one can be aware of how a thought will come before it comes. This is an amazing moment. Yeah? We've, we've had some sense that he's been aware of every shift when he, when, he, when he rises from one sphere to the other. But in this instant, when he rises to the sun, he's not even aware of it till after it happens. We're in a different time zone. Time is not the same as it is on earth. And I was in the sun, no more aware of my ascent than one can be aware of how a thought will come before it comes. He's already there. It's like we're approaching that point where, um, where Christ says, um, I am, when he's talking about David, when he came after David, when he was already before him. We're in a different time. We're entering a world of supersensible realities where our senses and our sense of natural law is beginning to change everywhere. It's at that point that St. Thomas Aquinas appears to him. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, what happens right now. And by the way, just to let you know, we are approaching the center of the Paradiso. And what's going to take place at the center of the Paradiso is nothing short of amazing. Um, it's going to be a great glorification of the human body. Not the mind, the human body. Aquinas appears and he introduces all of the souls around him. So a, a garland of souls appears dancing around Dante, singing. Because nothing happens in heaven that isn't poetry, that isn't a glory. Um, he introduces them all, Albert, Peter, Lombard, Solomon, Dionysius, Boethia. Boethius is there, that's interesting. Even some of Thomas's enemies, some of the people he quarreled with. What, what Dante's showing us is that um, they're all together because they all love truth more than anything. So even if they were opposed to each other in some way, intellectually in their minds, they were all united by a common love. They, they had such a great love of truth that they're united here. Um, he describes Solomon in this way. It's going to be important on the bottom of page 450. The fifth light, the most beautiful of all. Remember that because this is crucial. The fifth light, the most beautiful of all, breathes from a love so passionate. Here you are again, Melanie. Um, you know, this thing about deficiencies. I hope you saw that the Eros in te at, at, at the level of Venus, the Eros was still there, even though it was transformed. But it's, it's like Eros coming to an unknown perfection. So... It's the deficiencies still there in the sense of a limitation, but it's perfected in the joy of that virtue. Prudence, justice, eros, whatever it was. Here, he's presenting Solomon, a love so passionate that men still hunger on earth to know his fate. And I want to I stress this because in Milton, you, you guys haven't read it, I don't know if you're ever going to read it, Milton hated Solomon. And it, we're going to come to this in a minute, it, the importance of Milton hated, he, Milton was a Puritan. Puritan. He hated him because Solomon had a thousand wives. Can you imagine a man more lustful? 
Melanie, give me give me some give me some way of measuring that deficiency. A thousand wives? God. Exhaustion. I, say, I mean, there are sometimes when I think, God, I'd love to be Solomon. Then I think, oh, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, you were right on exhaustion. How, how in the world do you keep up? Anyway, this Dante presents. This is so important because the next several episodes are going to deal with Solomon, and he had a thousand wives. So, Dante's Dante is anticipating the Puritan movement two hundred years before it happens because he's already aware of what. Puritanism means. I mean, he knows the human soul so well. He, he, he describes all the rest of these lights. Now hold on to this because I want to I ask you a response. If you've read my notes, be still on it. But he describes all these souls around him circling. Um, remember, he's in the level of the sun right now. So this is luminous. They pass the level of Venus, the, the deficiencies in in um, temperance. And then he says on 452, then as a tower clock calls us to come at the hour when God's bride is roused from bed to woo with mat matin songs her bridegroom's love with one part pulling, thrusting in the other, chiming ting ting music so sweet the soul ready for love swells with anticipation. So I was witness to that glorious wheel moving and playing voice on voice in Concord with sweetness, harmony, unknown, save there, where joy becomes one with the turning. Now I want to stop at this moment because this is a metaphor lots of people would pass over. I'm not. <clears throat> Dante's describing the motion of this circle around him as a bride being roused from bread. It's like the spirit behind the Song of Songs because you know that was Solomon's contribution to the Bible. It's this love song to his beloved. It's very erotic. It's the most openly erotic book in the Bible. You, 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 all, you all know that, I hope, if you've had some experience with it. But here's my question. Then as, a, then as the tower clock calls us to come at the hour when God's bride is roused from bread to woo with Matan's song her bridegroom's love, She's going to woo him with one part pulling, thrusting in the other, chiming, ting, ting, music so sweet the soul, ready for love, swells with it. All those are very erotic images. I hope, I hope that's clear. I mean, there's something so explicitly sexual in all those descriptions, yeah? Is that clear? Why is Dante doing that? What Here at this point... <clears throat> Oh, here, let me put it this way. Since the, wait, since the Protestant Reformation, one of, one of the central tenets of Calvin was a hatred of the body. He thought the body was depraved. Sexual act was not good. What did John Paul do in um, Theology of the Body? He celebrated the body. He, he said um, that there's almost nothing greater than the spousal love between a, a husband and a wife because it mirrors the spousal love between Christ and his bride, his church. That was the central thesis of John Paul's great book. And I, I loved it because it's responding to the disorders concerning our body and our age. Because we're living under a regime that makes the body and sex look bad. So here's Dante giving this, 
description of the, the circling wheel. They're all in the level of the sun. These are all luminous men. You know, they love the intellect. But he's describing this, the, the motions of this circle, this dance, in terms they're explicitly sexual. So what's going on, you guys? I hope you guys are enjoying this as much as I am. Truly, I hope you're... Are you guys enjoying... I want the truth. If somebody's not... I want to hear. I'm going to have nothing but bad words for you if you do, but... Because this is pretty amazing. This is pretty... This is our church. This is the great glory of our church. I'll take a stab at it and say that Solomon, even though he had a thousand wives, I mean, he could have been stuck back on Venus with all those that were uh, overwhelmed, um, deficient with passion, but he uh, didn't let that rule him. He let the wisdom that God gave him rule him. So that's why he's up the next level. Yeah. What is so that, be that beautiful, there's nothing wrong with you know, sex and and um, your body and all that stuff, but it's but you have to know where to order it and God and wisdom and God come before that. Hmm. Melly, if I can, I hope I'm not um, pressing too hard in this, but I loved your question earlier. Is is what we've said since your question answered it? I mean, what what do you, what do you see about it now that you may not have seen before, if 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 anything at all? No, I, yes, what you've said is very good. Um, I understand now about the, okay, so what I'm thinking is with, if you have a deficiency, as Catholics, we kind of have the ability to go to confession, to learn from our mistakes. And so to me, as that's something um, positive for us is that we can confess our sins and learn from them so that by the time we pass away, we won't have those deficiencies on our soul. So hopefully... Or we'll not as much. Yeah. What? Yes, or not, right, as, many, not right. as much. Right. But then you're talking about our human natures. I mean, if it's my human nature to love too much, then I guess that's part of going to confession is to kind of know when to step back and reel that in. I mean, to me, it's still heaven should be looking at um, my my strong points and what I can bring to it. Yes, I love too much, but that means that I love, you know, so that's a good thing. Yes. So it's, it's so interesting that I, I guess the word deficiency or deficient, um, I just can turn that and look at it a different way. But I'm surprised he's focusing on deficiencies in that strength yeah but again so, if i got to meet dante someday to ask him yeah uh, i one day you will um I, I just want to go back to your comment about loving too much because i think that's a danger loving remember that was one of the great dangers loving things too much or not enough were the two sins addressed in the upper purgatory the point i want to underscore here is that excess i mean if that's say true when it's perfected, will be the source of a greater glory in just that way. You know, the question is, the, the struggle of perfecting, I mean, that's what this whole thing is about. But it's not doing away with it. It's, it's, that's a gift, just as somebody's love of justice or temperance or prudence or, you know, whatever the particular proclivity is, what, whatever our differences 
whatever faults we carry in them, whatever is peculiar to us, can be a glory if um, we turn to Christ. But it will be in that particular thing, because it's different for all of us. The proclivities for all of us are different. So, um, any other comments about the sexual nature of this? Why I don't think we've answered it. Can anybody or fully why this sexual? Karen, Bob, what do you make of that? <laughs> Don't. <laughs> you, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I want to get between the two of you on that look. <laughs> come on, you guys. What do you make of that? Come on. Come on, Robert. I'd like to hear. What do you, what do you make of that, Bob? Karen, you want to... Come on, take a stab. Come on, you guys. It's not like there's a right answer. I mean, some of this stuff is is the beginning of seeing other things. What's why does Dante do that here? These are all men who are luminous. They're they're men of intellects. They love the mind. Right? We're at the level of the sun. It's, it's the level of proof. This is prudence perfected. It's interesting that there's not a deficiency in prudence. Prudence is prudence, I guess, according to Dante. But you've got all these men of, of great intellects, and um, Dante closes this canto with that image. You guys didn't know when you picked up Dante you are going to get a class meeting on sex. Mike, you have any thoughts? Everybody's quiet. I don't know what's going on here. What's no? I I don't want to press anybody, but let me take a stab. I'm because this is a stab too. I mean, it's it's uh, it's not like I've always enjoyed this passage. It seems to me Dante's irony is his humor and his irony. You just don't want to miss it. You just don't want to miss it. It seems to me that what Dante's showing is that, I mean, this is very modern in a sense, but I think it's ancient. We know from the Iliad and the Odyssey that sex plays a big role in everybody's life. The, the Trojan War was fought over sex. Paris kidnapped Helen and thousands of men died. Um, I think that what Dante, I'm, I'm not sure, but the, the question I have is whether he isn't showing that the sexual impulse is basic to everything we do. The modern mind would say, Freud would say, it gets sublimated. It gets turned into other things. That would be Freud's way of looking at it. I'm sorry for that, because he makes sex bad. I mean, Freud, you know that from Freud anyway. I think what Dante's doing is celebrating it and saying what is basically sexual may take a different form, but it's there. You know, that there's something basically erotic, passionate in a man's love of truth. I, I, you, I, you know the story of St. Thomas. His, his parents didn't want him to make the choice and go into an abbey. And they locked him in a room and put a prostitute in his room to seduce him so he wouldn't become a, he wouldn't become a friar. Um, Dante chased her out with a, with a branding iron. He was so... But, I, you know, I mean, it's a sign of his passion. But it was a passion directed toward... It was a great love of Christ. We're going to see that immediately, coming up immediately in what Dante does with St. Francis. What Dante is showing us is that love is absolutely basic to everything we do. 
and it's directly related to our carnal nature, our physical nature. It is not a bad thing. The modern world has so degraded it. It is not bad. Calvin, Freud, make it bad. The church celebrates it. Um, go on over to 454. Dante's got a question from on St. Thomas because St. Thomas had talked, remember, oh, going over page 450, when St. Thomas introduces himself, he says, I was one of the sacred flock of lambs led by St. Dominic along the road where all may fatten if they do not stray. Now hold on to that. All may fatten. What, what, did, what does Thomas mean? And then he speaks about this fifth light who is the most beautiful creature of all men. So in the next canto, canto 11, um, Thomas is aware of Dante's question. What, what did Thomas mean when he said all these men fatten on page 454? You are perplexed and want me to explain in simple terms with clear explicit words on your mind's level what I meant to say when I said earlier where all may fatten and never arouse and never arose a second with such vision. That was his, the two points he made. Indeed, a clear distinction must be made. The providence that governs all the world with wisdom so profound none of his creatures can ever hope to see into its depths in order that the bride of the sweet groom, the church, who crying loud espoused her with her, his blood might go to her beloved made more secure within herself more faithful to her spouse ordained two noble princes to assist her. What he's going to do now is celebrate the two orders that the, were the most important orders to to deal with the corruptions of the church at his time. The Franciscans and the Dominicans, you know that their reforms were extraordinary. Unlike the Reformation, they did not they did not undermine or overturn the doctrines of the church. Those doctrines were left intact. What they did was answer spiritual corruptions in the people. Right? They didn't change doctrines. That's crucial. One of the two shown was seraphic love. This is so important. It's love that distinguishes both of them. One of the two shown was seraphic love. The other, through his wisdom, was on earth a splendor of cherubic radiance. First one's, well, I'm not going to answer. He describes the first one coming into life and, and, and passing through his life in the form of a lover. On page 455, only a few years after he had risen did his invigorating powers begin to penetrate the earth with a new strength. Even those are sexual. While still a youth, he braved his father's wrath because he loved a lady to whom all would bar their door as if to death itself. What Thomas is describing is what the medievals knew, what we knew today as romantic love. He's courting a lady. He penetrated the earth. Those are sexual terms. This is romantic love. Before the bishops courted at Corum Patre, he took his lady as his lawful, lawful wife. From day to day, he loved her more and more, bereft her. This is so. The difference between this and adulterous love is it's lawful, right? He took her as a wife. Bereft of her first spouse, despised, ignored, she waited 1,100 years and more, living without a lover till he came. Alone, though it was known that she was found with amiclas secure against the voice, which had the power to terrify the world, 
alone, though known was her fierce constancy, that time she climbed the cross to be with Christ while Mary stayed below alone. Um, who is this lover? I'm sorry, the beloved. Down at 456, the souls who followed him in poverty grew more and more, and then this Archimantrite, whose wonder, wonder work life um, were better sung by heaven's highest angels, saw his work crowned once again, now by Honorius, um, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then in the haughty presence of the Sultan, urged by a burning thirst for martyrdom, he preached Christ and blessed his followers. But finding no one ripe for harvest there, this is with his wife, and loath to waste his labors, he returned to reap a cross in the Italian fields. He got nowhere with the Muslims. Then on bare rock between Arno and Tiber, he took upon himself Christ's holy wounds, and for two years he wore his final seal, the stigmata. Who is this and who is the lover, or the beloved, sorry? Is everybody clear on this? What Dante? This is St. Thomas praising this man, this great reformer, and his beloved. Is everybody clear on what's going on, what Thomas is doing? This is St. Francis, and his beloved is poverty. He embraced her, he embraced her as his beloved. You know that that was his life. Brother, son, sister, moon, he, he looked at the world as this great offering, loved it. So here again, just after, you know, the sexual thing, we've got St. Thomas describing Francis in terms of a romantic lover. Why is he doing this? Because what's at issue is the passion with which somebody picks up his thing. And in this case, it was um, chastity. He embraced poverty in this great love. On page 460, um, another ring of souls surrounds Thomas's ring, and that's the Dominicans, or I'm sorry, the Franciscans, and um, Bonaventure, who was a, um, a Franciscan, now speaks his praise of Thomas and the Dominicans. So Thomas takes this moment to praise the Franciscans, and he ends with this denunciation of the Franciscan corruptions, because remember that, 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 that phrase of his... Um, yeah, I was one of the sacred flock of lambs led by St. Dominic along the road where all may fatten if they do not stray. He accuses, he loves the Franciscans and he loves the founder. But what he's really angry about is the way they have become corrupted. They fatten themselves. They're getting too worldly and losing their ties with their founder. So Thomas steps forward to praise the founder and denounces the corruptions in the Franciscan order. Um, Bonaventura um, speaks out from the um, from the Franciscan order that has surrounded the Dominican order, the circle, and now what he does is praise Dominic, the Dominicans. Um, and he will say, page 461, he's describing the birth of Dominic, and this is an amazing moment, actually, 461. There the staunch lover of the Christian faith was born into the world, God's holy athlete, kind to his own and ruthless to his foes. He was fearless. His mind, this is crucial, 
His mind, the instant God created, possessed extraordinary power. Within his mother's womb, he made her prophesy. At the moment of conception, when the mind became mature, this is in the womb, it already had a power great enough to inspire its mother to make this prophecy. This is um, a lore that I think has been passed on. I think there's probably some truth to it. The day that he was wed to Christian faith at the baptismal font, when each of them promised the other mutual salvation, the lady who had answered for him there saw in a dream the marvelous rich fruit that he and all his heirs were to produce, and that he might be known for what he was, a spirit sent from heaven named the child with his possessive whose alone he was. He belonged to God. Dominic he was named. I see him um, the husbandman of the um, of the one chosen by Christ to help him in the garden. Dominic means the dog, the dog of Christ, the dogs of Christ. Um, he comes into the world to be a fighter. So um, Bonaventura goes on with his praise of Dominic and what he did to help the church um, get to its feet again. So here, let, let me end, 464. I'm the living soul of Bonaventure from Bagnoregio. Temporal concerns always came last when I was in command. The last thing he was concerned about were temporal matters. He wanted the truth. That's what he gave his truth to. So here at the, you know, in the middle or towards the middle, we're getting close to the middle, are the two orders, the two of the great spokesmen from the Franciscans and Dominicans praising each other. So what we see in heaven are these souls presented as garlands, these people singing in, in dance, um, extending these courtesies to each other, admiring each other for the passion of their devotion. Francis for his beloved, this lady that he wooed. That's a, that's Those are the metaphors of a lover pursuing his beloved. And Dominic doing the same with a um, spirit of passion of war. He went in to fight the people who were um, trying to destroy the church. Let me stop. Any so I, I, I the, the the whole point that I'm coming to is that in, in the last several cantos, what Dante's been doing is exploring or eros, but not in the way the modern world has it. It's very sexual at its base because we're corporeal creatures. There's this great there's this great affirmation of the human body that's taking place. It, it's going to reach its peak, peak in the next in the next um, canto um, with Solomon. But let me stop. Um, is everybody following? This is the Catholic Church. Why would the Catholic Church celebrate the body sexually the way it does? Because Christ came into the world, took on a body, and loved his bride. That's one of the fundamental metaphors of our Catholic faith. Set that against the Protestant world. Did Christ do anything unlawful with his bride? No. Let me stop. Any, any questions? Is everybody following? Connie, you've got a question. It's getting dark in your backyard. Yes, it is. I have light up here, though. But no, I'm, I'm good. 
I'm so enjoying your house. One day I hope I can be there. I'm saying that. I'm, I, know I'm, I know I'm not being good to do that. I'm, um, but I hope one day I can be at your house because I'm I've, I've learning to love your house. We get every, we've gotten almost every aspect of it. You better invite me to your house someday. How's that for being rude? I promise. God. I don't know why you guys stay here. I don't know why you're staying with us. Suzanne is shaking her head. <laughs> Just imagine what she has to go through. God, God. Any questions here? Maria, where are you? Maria, are you? Did you disappear? I'm here. Hi. <laughs> I don't. Come on. I don't believe you don't have a question. You don't have any questions on all this. No. No, I haven't been reading it, and um, yeah, I find it difficult to follow. Yeah, it is. It's. A, I hope the. I hope our time together is clarifying a lot. You better say yes, even if you don't mean it. Robert. Suzanne's storing up all these bad things to say to me when the class gets over. <laughs> um, no, no questions, you guys? Okay, let's go here because this is, and I, I'm going to try to do this in just a couple of minutes. Dante comes to the question, the second question, about this comment that St. That Thomas made about this one beautiful soul that was greater than all the others in wisdom. And this is, this is a fundamental difference between Dante, the Catholic Church, and the Protestant. 467. Um, Dante wants to know um, who that soul is and whether or not, he will follow it up, whether or not the light that defines, characterizes the souls in heaven will remain as bright as it is after um, the resurrection of the body. Because in our earthly attitude, the body is lowly, degrading, opaque, you know. And um, so we're, this is sort of amazing. Dante, Dante is going to the heart of the central mystery of Christianity, the incarn incarnation, carnate, body, carnal. Christ took on a body. Um, the Catholic Church celebrates the presence of God, the actual, the real presence of God in the Eucharist. We believe we're taking his body into us. So here at the center of the Paradiso, Dante is going to that central mystery of the Incarnation. Okay. Um, 467. No Bacchic hymn or paean did they sing but of three persons in one God they sang, and in one person human and divine. That's the Trinity and the Incarnation. When song and circling reached the final note, those holy lights then turned to wait on us, rejoicing as they moved from task to task. The husk of that concordant group of souls was broken by that light from which had poured the wondrous story of God's pauper saint, St. Francis. And he said, now that one sheaf has been threshed out, that is the corruption, who are these, you know, these, what's the phrase, that those that fatten, and all its grain is garnered. God's sweet love invites me now to thresh the other one. Into that breast, you think from which was drawn the rib that was to form the lovely face, 
whose palate was to cost mankind so dear, that's Adam, it was his fall that we carry, and into that one who pierced by the lance gave satisfaction for future and past, that's Christ. He gave satisfaction for that sin. 468. And so you must have been surprised to hear what I said earlier of our fifth light, that he possessed a wisdom without equal. Now how that how could how could Solomon have a greater wisdom than Adam? Yeah? <laughs> did you guys did, did you have any sense that you'd be getting I don't know what to call this, an education in theology or, you know, that you're sort of looking at, at the, fundamentals of our, the fundamental facts of our faith without examining, but open your eyes to what I now reveal and you will see your thoughts and my words join as one truth at the center of the round. All that which dies and all that which cannot die reflect the radiance of that idea which God the Father through his love begets. That living light, the sun, which from its radiant source, the Father, streams forth its light but never parts from it, not from the love which triunites with them, the Spirit, of its own grace sends down its rays as if reflected through the nine substances, the orders of angels, remaining sepiternally itself, it can't change. Then it descends to the last potencies from act to act, becoming so diminished, it brings forth only brief contingencies. That is, it enters our world. And by this term I mean thus generated things which the moving heavens produce from seed or not from seed, the wax of things like these. Um, Christ puts a stamp on everything here. 469, and if this wax were perfectly disposed, and if the heavens were at their highest power, the brilliance of the seal would shine forth full. So Christ imparts, God per, um, imparts himself to the whole world. But each one of us having a different nature, yes, receive it differently. Some people are born with deformities. Nature isn't receptive. Nature is not perfect. So there's this great variety and degrees of perfection or imperfection in creation. It's part of the variety of our world. But, but nature never can transmit this light in its full force, much like the artisan who knows his craft but has a trembling hand. You know, if anybody of you have tried your hand at art, you can produce a work of art, but eventually you look at it and say, yeah, it's good, but, you know, you, you keep trying, you keep doing things, and we work with our imperfections. I remember Hawthorne once saying about a work of art of his own, because you know he was a great writer, that very often he'd come to the end of the novel and then he'd go through it and then suddenly he would get this flash and turn something and suddenly it would make everything all right. It's lived out of nowhere. He would create, write a sentence and it would suddenly bring a rightness to what he was doing that wasn't there before. But if the fervent love moves the clear vision of the first power and makes of, the, of that its seal, the thing it stamps is perfect in all ways. And this is how the dust of earth was once made fit to form the perfect living being and how the virgin came to be with child. Go down. My words were meant to bring back to your mind the fact that he was a king and asked his Lord for wisdom to suffice a wisdom worthy of a king. Remember, Solomon was given the choice by God to have what he wanted. And God loved him more because he didn't ask for the wrong things. He didn't ask for power. There was nothing selfish. Think about Saul. Nothing selfish, nothing ambitious, 
He wanted wisdom. He did not ask to, to know so that he might count angels here or know whether necess, um, um, yields necessary that um, that if you can um, hypothetically, hypo, hypothetically assert something, you can come to a certain or or assert it positively. You can come to a positive conclusion. He didn't want what he didn't want that. Nor sies dere premum motum esse, whether a first motion leads to others or. So he could have chosen all these things: philosophical knowledge, scientific knowledge. Um, so when I talked of unmatched wisdom, then royal prudence was the wisdom upon which I had my arrow of intention drawn. If you recall the world I used, arose. It should be clear that only kings were meant, of which there are full many, but few good. Um, he gave Tom or Solomon this wisdom. Down at the bottom, 470. Of this, Parmenides offered clear proofs. Bryson, Melissus, and the rest who were who went their way but knew not where to go. So did Sibelius and Arius. They were both heretics. They used their wisdom in a way that undermined the real nature of Christ. So they they claimed to have the truth when they didn't. And all those fools who were to Holy Scripture sword blades distorting images of truth. Nor should one be too quick to trust his judgment. He says, all the people who think they're, they've got the right answer, they know, should be far more careful because very often we don't know when we think we do. That's his conclusion at the end of um, Canto 13. I want to bring this quickly. I'm going to, um, I've got to, we're past time and I want to point you ahead. 472. This man, though he cannot express his need and has not even thought the thought as yet, must dig in the roots of yet another truth. He must, Dante has got to go deeper. Beatrice will help him go there. Explain to him about the radiance with which your substance blooms. <clears throat> Will it remain eternally just as it shines forth now? And if it does remain, explain to him how once your sight has been restored, you can endure the brilliance of each other's form. He's made it clear that Solomon was the wisest man to ever live in this sense. He was not Christ, because Christ was the Son taken on a form, and he was not Adam who was directly created by God. Of all humans except those, he was the wisest man because of his choice. That's strictly, literally biblical. That's what the Bible says. So Dante's being faithful, and it's interesting to me that Solomon is being given this place when what's at issue is Eros and the body. And on page 473, Solomon is going to stay, step forward, and he's what he's going to say, and I'm going to wait till next week to do this because we're out of time. Solomon is going to say that at the last days, at the resurrection of the body, because this is one of the mysteries of the church, we know this from Christ, when the body is returned, Man's glory will be increased because um, the more perfect a thing is in nature, the greater its glory. That man was created with a body. When he receives his body, it won't diminish his glory at all. It will actually increase it. We had some sense of that in the transfiguration, if you remember on the mountain, because Christ was glorified. That was a glimpse, and Paul gives some sense of it. I hath not... Seen, ear hath not heard, what beauties, 
that when the body is returned, man will know a glory that's unlike anything else in creation. This is Canto 14. I want to pick up here when we start next week. The amazing thing about this is that in spite of this scientific world that we live in, in spite of Calvin, the Protestant world, Dante is celebrating the human body. It is what Christ took on when he took on our nature. It is not something to be looked down on or put down. or. And at the center of it is this eros that is the source of all these great loves that get transformed in what people do. Let me stop here because this is a... I want to. I don't. I, I really want to read these passages, but we're too late. But I wanted to get to this point because, to me, it's this is the center of the Paradiso. So, even though we're in a very intellectual world, what Dante is celebrating is the human body, the lowliest thing in creation. Not to a Catholic. The scientists can look down on it. The Gnostics can look down on it. The Freudians can look down on it. The Protestants can look down on it. It can't be for a Catholic. When we go to Mass and receive the real presence, we believe that we're receiving the actual body of Christ, that there is a great glory in the human person that isn't duplicated anywhere else in the universe. Let me stop. Any any questions? Maria, I'm giving you a test at the beginning of this class on your reading. You better tell her you're kidding. <laughs> Suzanne says... Better tell her I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm giving you a quiz. <laughs> I so enjoy you guys. It's just, you are, I mean, you're so, it's so clear you guys are thinking deeply about these things. Um, any questions? Connie? No, no. I just love all of it. I really do. It does bring the church alive. And the teachings and, you know, the different levels in heaven and we've all, the different mansions, we've all, you know, we, we know all this stuff. And for him to write about it, it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And poetically, to do it musically, right. you know, musically the way it does, just... Um, it's not easy to understand. I know it's a difficult reading, but stay with it, you guys. Maria, I mean, I've told you guys this. I know sometimes you get busy. Even if you can't keep up, come to class because there's a lot still to learn, you know, even if you don't read it. Read it because it makes a difference. But if you if you can't, if, you know, whatever your circumstance, come to class because a lot will come out in class that, um, that will help. So, no questions? Mike? Looks like I put you to sleep here. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I do have a question. After Paradiso, are we... Uh are we in store for another movie night? <laughs> wow. Do you have a movie in mind? That, uh, By the way, I would love that. I would just so love that. Do you have something in mind? Uh, no, I, th I thought you had... Um, um, I noticed there were several titles on the website. Uh, we've, we've had one. Uh, we saw Departures with you, but uh, I thought perhaps we, were, we would dip into your... Uh, <laughs> You know, I would love to get together just to have a meal with you guys and a movie, but, and I think I've just been reluctant because people are so guarded about the COVID. I will check with you guys. I'll, I'll ask if there's something, and I'll suggest something. Um, I would love to do it. It's, it's not on my mind right now. 
just so you know, I, I, I wanted to take a poll with you guys because we've been at it for a while now and I don't know if any of you are wearing out. Um, where we would go from Dante is Chaucer and from Chaucer to Shakespeare. I don't know if you guys are up for it. I don't know where you are. You know, you, you guys have been at this now for a while and I, I want to be careful. So I want to check with you to see if you want to stay with this or whether we should stop. If we do go on... If we do go on, we'll do um, Chaucer, who's absolutely Catholic. I mean, Chaucer. The the, the beauty about Chaucer is that you learn to you learn to laugh at human beings. The modern mind has made us so critical of each other. Chaucer could look at faults everywhere and laugh. Um, he's and just love. huh? And love. Yeah, I mean, he looks at the worst sins and brings the faith to him that. You know, when you get to Shakespeare, you can already see the world. We're in the modern world. Things get dark with Shakespeare. But with Dante and Chaucer, we're in a Catholic world. So, And you know that now from you know what you're reading. And this couldn't be more Catholic. Dante has this wonderful sense of irony. I, you can hear him sort of laughing at things underneath his seriousness. But anyway, I want to check with you in the next week or so because we're getting, we're approaching the end of the, the Divine Comedy, and I want to see if you guys still want to go on or what you want to do. But So I've had Chaucer in my mind, not a dinner, but I, I would love, would love to have a meal. So I'll talk with Suzanne and I'll write you guys a note and see what your thoughts are. If we do do it, I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk with Father to see if we can get a church announcement um, to get people physically back in a room, you know, to see if we can pick up some people again. Um, you are a, right, a rare group of disciples, you know, I mean, you guys are not of me, not of me, you're just of our faith. You guys have been um, amazingly steady. So anyway, um, any last thoughts about what Dante's been doing here and what's going on? Amazing wisdom, amazing wisdom. I have a feeling that um, the moon and Mercury and Venus are, well, the peop the souls that flock there, they're much more numerous. The deficient souls are much more numerous than the ones that are a little higher up on the scale. So. I don't know. I'm not going to, I don't know that. We'll just, I mean, realistically speaking, but I don't even want to go. I'm, I think we're meant to enjoy what's there you know, at every level, because it's so amazing. I'll look at it with new eyes tonight. I hope. I hope that's true. No, really true. I, You know, I, I said this to the class last night when we started Flannery O'Connor. I haven't read Flannery O'Connor in 20 years. I am knocked over. I'm not, I cannot tell you strongly enough what it's, I mean, to, to pick up a book that deals so directly with the call to be a prophet, to take God to the world, it's, 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 it's a trembling, it's a troubling book. Um, I'm, I, I want so badly to keep going with it, and I feel that way about what we're doing with Dante. I'm so glad to go back with you, because I keep seeing it, you know, with new eyes the older I get. I mean, to go back to this, and to have the questions that you guys ask bring me at it a different way. Honestly, the classes are different. I feel like I get different eyes. So whenever you guys ask questions, I'm saying this honestly, whenever you guys ask questions, I know some people. Sometimes people are shy, but I, that bothers me. 
really bothers me. People should ask. No, I'm saying this really seriously. I felt that way all my life as a teacher. So sometimes the simplest, sometimes the questions people are reluctant to ask because they're going to be embarrassed. They think they're going to be embarrassed. They they make you come at a thing from a way you didn't expect. And every time for me, every time you answer it, it's like a new light on the thing. So doing these classes with you guys is a joy to be able to go to be able to go back to I'm, I'm just true to be able to go back to Dante with what we're doing you know the thing on the cross and justice and injustice the thing on eros and the sexual images in the level of the sun it, I mean it makes you look at things in a completely different way and you realize that's our faith who knows it today it's a whole different way of looking at the world and it, it, for me, it just reaffirms our, the, the, the rock ground of our faith. It is so solid. Um, anyway, sorry, Melody, go ahead. Did you have something? Okay. Um, you guys have a good week. Have a good Easter octave. Um, carry over what you've done. It's, um, it's a joy to be with you guys again. And... Um, for those of you who can put up with hearing a thing a second time around when you already know it, if I see you on Sunday, it'll be a, it'll be a pleasure, a genuine pleasure to see you. But if, if not, I'll see you, I'll see you guys next Tuesday. Okay. You guys be good. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Good night. Good night. Thank you. God, I love these groups. What? Oh, sorry. God. You don't want to get this on. Here, can you?